Every 30 days, Studio Wesley Book Club ponders a new book that we believe is relevant to the work of spiritual growth and to the life of the church. Here, you'll hear different members of our community discuss how these books have impacted them and what they have learned from them. We are talking about Active Faith by Paul Chilcote, and um, it is about four different ideologies that Paul feels are challenging the church right now, and I am here talking about this with some really, really lovely people, Neil, Grace, Renard, and Jacob. Um, I am Brooke. I am the ministry associate for CCW. Um, I... Yeah, I guess I help with things at Flagler and UNF especially, and I am here with my friends. Hello, my name is Renard. I am a graduate from FSCJ. I am a, I started out with CCW back in 2017, um, was an intern last semester and now moved up to a fellow. Um, I don't know where I plan on transferring to, but I plan on majoring in religion and hopefully um, go to seminary and become a pastor in the United Methodist Church. Hello, everybody. I am Neil, and uh, I am a junior at UNF and a music fellow for CCW. Been with CCW for, I think, about three years now, and I'm excited for what the future holds for me. Hi, um, I'm Grace, and I'm also a junior at UNF, and I am majoring in their interdisciplinary studies program, so kind of making a pre-seminary major, um, again, like hopefully going to seminary after that. Um, and I've been in CCW a year, I'm an intern now, and it is lovely and fantastic and all of the good things. I just, and this I, week, you're really, really, yeah, you're good. You can go, Jacob. So, hi, I'm Jacob. Um, I'm a sophomore at UNF. I am in my second, yeah, second year sophomore. That's the same thing. I am a student leader for CCW. Um, this is my second year as well in CCW. Um, it's been something I've enjoyed so far. Um and yeah, can't wait to continue in life. That's all I got. Hey. Uh...
Oh my gosh. <laughs> Y'all didn't hear anything. Okay. No. <laughs> okay. I was um, going to be like, mic drop. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it is recording, right? It's still recording, yes. <laughs> like, it's been recording even though I left. So I think we'll be okay even with me doing this. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm going to start with question one. Um, hopefully, it won't cut out while I'm reading that. Um, I'm going to start with question one, and um, Grace will start after the questions. They will call on people from there. Um, if you are not the person talking, please um, mute yourself. <laughs> Unless you are talking, then like unmute yourself. Um, Yes, and if you really have something to say, feel welcome to push the raise hand button. Um, but let's try to keep that to a minimum so we can maybe finish at an okay time. Um, all right, so I am going to start. Our first question is, um, in Chapter 3, On the Practice of Healing, Paul Chilcote writes about the doctrine of dispensationalism which my iPhone does not recognize as a word, or the belief that what matters is only in heaven and that we will soon be leaving this earth. And he talks about how this idea leads us to not really care about justice on earth and about climate change, um, and just kind of gives us this feeling that it doesn't really matter because like, we're not really going to be here long. Um, did you grow up with a dispensationalist idea? ideology and how has it impacted you or have you not grown up with that um how do you relate to this idea um and grace do you have any thoughts on this yes um so my exposure to that wasn't really extreme um like i didn't grow up with like any of that like majorly um, but it definitely, like, still seeped into my beliefs a bit. Um, like, I know that at some point I just had this memory of, like, having a mindset where, like, what I do doesn't really matter. Um, and my thoughts were just more, like, heaven-focused than, like, humanity-focused. Um, and just thinking about, like, my relationship with God, but not in, like, an actual functional way. Just thinking, like, um, am I reading my Bible enough? Not, like, am I doing good things for the world and being good because like that's how things should function um so like recognizing dispensationalism hope i said it right as its own thing um has been kind of helpful just like having a label for it um and i think that it makes me like more prone to recognizing like when my actions are like humanity focused and um it like helps me to have a greater compassion i think um just being able to like document it and separate it in my head, knowing like, okay, well, I am I doing this thing right now because I feel like I'm like minuscule or am I doing this thing because I know that like my actions can help people and love people. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that. One thing that I've thought is that, and I know that Paul is writing from a very Methodist perspective, 
Um, but I feel like Methodism is very much about how we can love actively in the world here and now, um, which is something I really appreciate about Methodism. Um, Neil, do you have any experience with this idea or any thoughts about it? Uh, yeah, so when I read into what dispensationalism was, um, I realized that it greatly sort of was an idea that was definitely around a lot uh, growing up at Trinity and whatnot. Like, whereas like, you know, with young like Methodists and, you know, progressives in general, like in times like these, there's so much emphasis placed on the youth that, you know, we can make a difference by protesting and signing petitions, donating, voting, you know, things like that. But, you know, so many Trinity people just share things on Facebook and Instagram. They're like, God is in control. Don't worry. Everything is going according to God's plan. And, you know, I have one of my former teachers and mentors, God bless him. He, uh, he, he believes that, you know, if Trump gets reelected, then it's only postponing the eventual new world order and the next domino effect that will eventually lead to the end times and the persecution of Christians and tracking chips and all that fun jazz. Um, but yeah, I do think dispensationalism is very, was very prevalent in my childhood and uh, religious upbringing. There was definitely a lot of God is in control, but nothing in the way of hey you can make a difference with these things you should you should care about these social issues instead it's just like oh pray about it god will take care of it so i suppose that was my experiences with it gosh i find that so really interesting this probably is like not a great thing to say i don't think it's too bad so i'll just say it <laughs> I don't know, that new world idea sounds kind of interesting and fun. Like, I don't know, that sounds like a really interesting book series or something. Um, but yeah, I've definitely come across those Facebook posts and sometimes had those conversations. And it's really, really hard. It's just a theological tension for me because I really do want to believe that God has a plan and is at work in the world and is like guiding everything towards good. But then there's also the pain of like, we have so many people dying every day before their time of COVID-19. Um, and there's poverty and racism and like all of these things. Um, and I do think that when we're just thinking about God and thinking that God, everything is happening according to God's plan, it can sometimes, it can stagnate our actions towards creating heaven here and now, um, which I think is a tragedy. Um, I'm just amazed by the power of ideas and how different ideas can spur us to act in different ways, either for the healing or the harming of the world. Um, yeah, and it's really hard when we come up against people who who we love, who carry ideas that we don't find as beneficial. 
Um, Renora, do you have any thoughts about all of this dispensationalist ideology? So I never really knew what um, dispen um, dispensationalism was until like you read, um, like at least like growing up for me and um, growing up in church. Um, I will say like um, when Brooke, when you sent me this question, it like really like, um, it, to me, like, I feel like it does like, more harm because it's like um how am i trying to put it i feel like it puts like more pressure on us because it's just like in a way i feel like it's saying like what only matters Heaven, heaven is like the only thing that matters. So if you're saying like that, it's the only thing that matters, then like the now, like doesn't matter. If that makes sense. And I feel like that yeah. way, of, that way of think, that way of thinking can like, um, do a lot more, can do a lot, is like very like harmful to like, all, all Christian, all Christians, whether it's, you know, traditionalists or progressives. Yeah. Um, and I just feel like it's such a present idea. Like, I grew up Catholic, and um, I do think that Catholicism is more of a, like, it matters what you do in the world idea. But there is still this idea of, like, we'll get to heaven, and, like, that that's the thing. Like, we'll get to heaven, and then, like, everything will be okay. Um, and I think that values the preciousness of human life, like, the human life that Jesus chose. Um, and I am grateful that Paul Chilcote has informed us of this idea and helped us think of ways to combat it. Um, Jacob, I am really curious about your thoughts on this chapter, because when I was read it, I was exactly thinking about you, because I know that you are very passionate about the environment. Um, do you feel like you grew up with a lot of this idea of dispensationalism, or do you think that through Methodism, you grew up in a faith that was more about active, um, active loving and healing work in the world? Yeah, growing up in Methodism um, and just in my household in general, um, like we we always said that you know God does have a plan, um, and that is kind of the same idea that we're talking about. But it's also you still have to hold up your part. You still have to you know do your job, like like Ocean's Eleven, right? Like there's this massive plan to steal this, this jewel or something, this gem, right? You know, all sorts of jewelry and stuff. But if you don't do your part, if you don't like cut off the security footage or whatever, then it pretty much all falls apart. So there is a plan and God does want something to happen. But it's still up to us 
you know, as followers to enact this plan and to, you know, do what you're supposed to do, like, you know, treating each other fairly, you know, as you want, as you wish to be treated and loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, and especially the past couple of years, um, I've definitely discovered more that you definitely need to take control more and just, you need to do what you think is right and not just wait around, which, you know, we, we never, I never grew up with the idea of, I'll just wait for God. It's like, I've done pretty much all that I can do at this exact moment. So I'm going to see what he can do. So. I'm here. Um, yes, thank you for that, Jacob. And honestly, like, I'm still trying to figure out my beliefs with all of this. But the idea that you just articulated is, I think, one of the things that I love most about Methodism. This idea that, like, God is building something here. And God's going to do it with or without us, but we have the opportunity to be a part of it. Um, that's something that I've just really, really come to love from what I've experienced of Methodist theology. Um, okay, now we have our next question. Um, question two, and I put you at the front of this, Jacob, because I think it's something that I imagine you're thinking about a lot. Um, on page 53, I was going to read it, but it's like pretty long. <laughs> um, but on page 53, Paul lists some action steps we can pledge to do to engage in the practice of healing. Among these are promising not to buy things that we do not need, reusing everything we can, making a commitment to recycle, and reforming ideologies through political action. Is there a step towards healing the world here and now that you feel really called to? maybe from reading this book or just like thinking about all of this in general lately. So it's, it's really funny that you thought of me because right now I'm sitting in a parking lot with my car on, which is terrible. Uh, but uh, my phone's about to die and it looks like it's going to rain. So I rolled up my windows and I turned on the AC and I need to charge my phone. So that's how I, that's why I think it's okay. But um one thing that like I felt called to do was I, I used to have um, a little truck and you know, it, it got not good gas mileage and it sucked and I loved it, but uh, it just wasn't as good for the environment as I would like it to be. So I got a, I got a sedan because it's, I use less fuel and I cause less emissions. Um, so that's that's one reason that that's one thing I did I I really felt called to do. Um, recently, I I watched like a YouTube video like right before I read this chapter about like renewable energy, and it's like you know you could put a solar a uh, yeah a, a solar panel on the top of your house and like if you do if you have enough of them you can like get paid by like the electrical company 
because you're returning energy back. And I'm like, man, I really wish I owned my house so I could put an electrical plant on it and then, you know, be cool for the environment. So that was, that was one thing that like, I felt like I, uh, I feel called to do. Um, and buying not things that I need. Uh, I, I've been doing that a lot because, uh, you know, I, I've only been working for a few weeks and before that I didn't have a job for like a year. So I did, ha I had no income. And I, I did not buy anything that I think I didn't need to survive. <laughs> so um, that, that was, that's been something that I've really been cracking down on. Not, not like for environmental reasons, but for my pocket reasons, which I mean, it works for both. So those are, those are two things that I like to do. Yeah, I... I feel that so much like <laughs> these can feel like really big issues, but when I think about the actions that I can take, um, that really makes me feel a lot more whole. Um, just thinking about like, Oh, I'm eating in this way and that's good for the environment. Um, and I don't think it's enough. Like I do think that policy <laughs> policies and political action probably does the most good, but it means a lot to me when I do, when I do, when I can find small, small action steps to take. Um, Renard, do you have any things that you feel called to after reading this passage? Or just in general, like steps you've been thinking about to help restore the world? Hmm. That's a good question. So I actually, this question is like very like special to me because um, I took like a, um, I took sociology in, in um, my last semester at FSDJ and like sociology like really gave me like a, um, more of like a view of like what the world, you know, is like actually like and like how we, um, we as humans like, um put judgments on people and the institutions that like were involved with like schools and churches and other institutions like want us to be or perceive us to be and i guess what i feel called to is like um the idea that we should be in the image of which god wants us to be for for ourselves and not what other people want want or think um we should be because i don't really feel like we're living our true selves if we're living them i don't think we're really or we're not in a way i don't think we're really living our 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 um living out our callings if we're worried about like what other people what other people feel like we should be and we're ashamed of what God wants us to be or God's plans for our, um, our, our existence is, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that even articulating that and spreading that idea that it's important to be who you are and not what the world thinks you can, should be. I think even that 
spreading that idea can be something that heals the world in that way and living in that way of wanting to bring people bring people into the truth of themselves beyond what society may ask them to be i think that's really powerful um neil do you have um did you feel called to any action step from this passage or yeah just in general that you've been thinking about a lot lately um i'm not sure i've necessarily like been called to anything but it just sort of like reminded me of things that i already try to do so in the sense of like you know peeling and doing things that are better for like the environment and whatnot um i try not to waste food i don't like whenever i eat a meal i make sure to be able to most of the time i try to eat eat it all in that one sitting so i know what portions are good for me and whatnot so i, I try not to waste a whole lot um, because I was really bad about that as a kid about like just grabbing too much food and then not finishing it and throwing it away or something like that. So I just tried to like cut down on my uh, waste of food and whatnot. But other than that, can't really say much else, to be honest. Yeah, I think that's one of the, one of the really beautiful things about our generation is that so many people are already thinking about these environmental ideas and making choices from that place. I wonder if Paul's like call to action would hit people differently who haven't who haven't been like growing up thinking about these ideas as an existential necessity. Um, Grace, is there something that you felt called to or an action you felt feel encouraged to take? for the healing of the world? I think that I just really connected with, I, th I think it's the first two that he listed. Yes, it's the first two that he listed. Um, in refusing and reducing. Um, I, I'll tell this story quite a bit, um, but I attempted to go vegan. It only lasted like a month and a half. Um, but I attempted to go vegan and I was cutting out like certain things and it. I could just tell that like it like that specific lifestyle wasn't going to work for me. Um, but I found that there's still a lot of validity in like respectfully sourcing the animal products that I'm going to consume. Um, like finding places that, you know, treat their animals well, treat them like, I don't know, animals that deserve kindness um, before they're going to be used. Um, but just finding places like that, um, or I've seen a lot of commentary recently about how much plastic packaging has been on stuff since, like, everything has to be extra super sanitized. I guess people are putting, like, extra plastic, like, packaging around it to keep it in that sanitized air, and I have just been a bit more aware of how much plastic I go through. I know I go through a lot of water bottles. <laughs> so many water bottles um so that's been on my mind just trying to like use reusable things um and kind of to go back to the first question for a minute I think that stuff like this is where I start to really question like if my actions matter um 
And I keep thinking about that little starfish story that I'm sure we've all heard by now, but if you haven't, um, it's the one where the person's like throwing starfish back into the ocean and the person comes up and they're like, how can it possibly matter when there's so many starfish and you can't save them all? And the person says, okay, well, it mattered to that one and to that one. Um, and like, I've heard it so many times. It should be less like significant I guess but it just really like resonates with me thinking like okay well maybe I can't fix every single like over usage of plastic and every single like mistreatment of every animal um but like it matters the little bit that I do or even if it's like perceived as little like it, it can still matter um but yeah I appreciate that so much, Grace. Um, I love the starfish story so much. Um, and I mean, it, it's so relevant because a lot of plastic, I think, does end up back in the water. So, like, it really does make a difference to the animals. Um, I've been really encouraged to think about, like, what small steps can I take Um like, what are the tiny things that I can do? Um, which is sort of like what I said earlier. But in college especially, I was really attracted to, like, the no, the zero waste movement and the idea of, like, producing, like, no waste. Um, and I tried it for Lent one year. And, I mean, like, I tried it. <laughs> but I do think that's a really appealing idea. But something I really found helpful and active faith was that Paul is presenting these ideas that are simpler than that, that aren't as big, that seem more doable. Um, and I appreciate that. Like, it's not too extreme. Like, one thing that I have in my head that I'm trying to live into is if I have the chance to do the environmentally healthy thing, like, if I have something that can be recycled instead of trash, but I have to, like, clean it. Um, or if I can do something reusable, but it might take an extra step. Or, like, if I have the choice to turn off the water in that moment, even though it would be easier not to. Like, telling myself that I will take that extra step. Um, not that I do that all the time. But um, I think that committing ourselves to a little action. It won't save the planet, and I keep telling myself it's not my job to save the planet. That's God's action. The Holy Spirit will work on bringing that to happen, but I can do this step, um, and maybe that'll be enough of what God wants me to do right now. Um, kind of, hopefully... If you're editing this, you can cut this part out. I'm going to start with you again, Jacob, if that's okay. Um, because I know that you have to go at 3 o'clock. Um, okay, I'm going to read question four, and then I'll just go in the order after that. Okay. Um, In chapter 4, Paul talks about the overwhelming love of his friend, Brother Mark, 
when have you experienced this deep loving presence that made you think Jesus must have been like this? Jacob, I think you're on mute. Yeah. I'm still thinking, though. Um, it, it's... I, I don't know. Because I know, I know a lot of great, smart, loving Christian people. But they're, they're not... I mean, I guess I guess Jesus wasn't afraid to get dirty sometimes either. Um, the The best example I would say is probably like um, probably my cousin. He he. Uh, I mean he um, he he, uh, he he started off life a little bit rocky, um, but he he turned to Christ and he. He committed to it, and um, he uh, he's currently in seminary, and he he is a you know he's a very progressive Christian. Um, he he would have loved CCW, um, but he's just he's always working with um, less fortunate. Like he uh, his like favorite church is basically like a, a homeless church. Um, he, he's constantly, you know, helping out with shelters and all that sort of thing. Um, and that's what he wants to do in the future. He wants to continue working like on the, uh, on the front lines of just the needy. Um, so I, I'd say probably him because he's willing to hang out with, not hang out with, but like help people with no matter what they're going through. Like, um, a good example is uh, two summers ago, he, uh, he held a pot roast and he told me, oh, yeah, th- uh, my friend Robert is coming. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, so we, I hung out with this guy, Robert. He was like 45 and we ate and we, we talked a little bit and we laughed. Um, and then after he left, my cousin, my cousin told me, yeah, um, he was a uh, he was a drug lord in the 1980s, and he he has turned his life around, and he uh, now he likes to plant flowers instead of doing drugs. And I'm like, you knew that, and you just you, you just you know let me eat dinner with him. Thank you for letting me do that because I would have come down with judgment beforehand, and you you know that I would have I would have done that, and uh, I thank you for letting me know people and letting me talk to them and get to know who they are instead of what they've done. Um, I, I, I like that line I just said, no mean to brag, but know who they are, not what they've done. Cause that's a, I feel like that's a pretty cool line, but uh, yeah, I, I'd say my cousin, he's definitely, you know, he's not afraid to, you know, 
deal with people who aren't, you know, the, the best of people that, you know, society looks at and sees, oh, it's this guy. He's not afraid to help, help that poor person out. Um, that's all I got. That is so powerful, Jacob. Thank you so much for sharing that about your cousin. Um, wow. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, I just really think that that is where um, where Jesus shows up in that powerful love that transcends boundaries in that really real way of loving people like Jesus. So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, Renard, do you have, um, what comes to mind when you think of someone who loves like Jesus loves? You said a person? Yes, please. I mean, like, if it's a dog, I, I think dogs are amazing, too. Well, I can't yeah. think... <laughs> My dog I, doesn't love like that. I can't think of one person, that's the thing. <laughs> you can say multiple people. It's, okay, I'll say multiple people. Um, what was the question, then? <laughs> um, I'll, I'll just read it again. Yeah. Uh, in Chapter 4... Paul talks about the overwhelming love of his friend, Brother Mark. When have you experienced this deep, loving presence that made you think, Jesus must have been like this? And if you can think of moments, that's fine, too. I would think, I would ha probably have to say, um, when I went on my first Christian retreat, um, I went on a Christian walk called, um, called um, Chrysalis, and just the overwhelming love I felt from just strangers that I didn't know and um, just the willingness that they, you know, that they, that they did to just love on me and um, just want to just get me to open up and just find out, you know, find out more about me. And, you know, um, that's one experience. And then another experience was, um, so about a few years, I would say, say about a year now, um, the church that I was in before we started this um, this fresh expressions group called Dinner Church, and it was very like special to me because it's just like you get to you get to um, it was a very communal um, time. We got to just sit around and eat with um, eat with homeless, and just to see um, just to take the time to actually like listen to. Um, to listen to these people's lives and just invest time with them and love on them was um, something that's like very special to me. Yeah, thank you for sharing that, Renard. Um, sometimes there are just those moments of like being enfolded in love. Um, and I think that must be what heaven is like, but it's, it's, it's wonderful to have those moments and those memories. Grace, what, um, yeah, when have you had this experience of 
feeling like you're being loved as if as if by Jesus. I always think back to my aunt. Um, her name is Gail, of course. Um, but yeah, she very southern, very like. Um, I mean, when you think of like a southern lady who's just like planting her flowers and her yard is full of them and she like loves to watch the butterflies and the hummingbirds and all that fun stuff um just like spot on descriptor um but she she was very traditional so like that comes with certain things um or she had certain mindsets that I might not agree with. Um, but she um, would just go, like, above and beyond to show love to everybody and just make sure that, like, they know that Jesus loves them. Um, and that came with an extension of, like, her also just being ready to love them and do whatever um, they might need. Um, but I think she also had, like, a solid balance of, trusting God to follow through with things, but also putting her own actions into play. Um, so not just being the person to sit back and think like, okay, yeah, God will do it. Let me just pray over it and it'll, it'll just fix itself. Um, because like while prayer is like very important, like you see sometimes like people just like sit back and pray and then don't try to take action. Um, but I think she had a solid like balance of that. Um, but yeah, when I just think of someone with like the overwhelming kindness and love of Jesus, um, I just know that she is like the descriptor that I think of. And I don't know how like great this is to say, um, but like the descriptor I always go back to is like she is the person I know who would be the closest to living without sin. Um, and then, you know, you get into the descriptor or you get into like having to define sin and like what is all of that. But I think that she would be the closest person to living without sin and just living to love people as Jesus and God love people. That is so beautiful, Grace. Thank you for sharing about her. Um, oh gosh. Yeah, that's just so beautiful. And I think it's wonderful when we find examples like that in our lives of people who are living from a place of love. Um, and what a beautiful legacy she passed to you and giving you that example. Um, Neil, who do you think of when you think of someone who loves like Jesus? It's kind of hard to pin down in a way just because there are many people who, you know, may have sort of like floated in and out of my life in the past who were very important. And I think God put them in my life for a very certain reason for a very certain time. And I'm still friends with those people now, but we're just not as close due to things like life and distance getting in the way. Um, but yeah, obviously, you know, someone like, you know, my parents and their love, but in terms of like, you know, another example, and, you know, sh shame on all of us as CCWians for not mentioning Derek Scott, you know, because I think, I think if, if there is certainly anyone that I know of who loves like Jesus, it is 
definitely Derek Scott. Like he's just so like considerate and magnetic in a way. And let's be all real. We're all here because of him. <laughs> so I'm going to say Derek Scott. I am so grateful you said that, Neil, because I was like, <laughs> like, is that cheesy <laughs> to include that on this podcast? But I mean, that is really the truth. Um, Derek, speaking of like grounded and we're going into our grounded series, um, Derek planted and cultivated this beautiful seed that is CCW and just the impact that he has had. I mean, the impact that he has had on my life and on the lives of so many other young people through this campus ministry is profound. And that's, um, that's because Derek is just an incredible, loving, faithful human and I am just incredibly grateful for him. I'm going to pause while that sound stops. Okay. Um, I just love Derek. <laughs> um, gosh, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for naming Derek, Neil. Um, I feel like we've gone on kind of long. Um, I have two more questions, but do y'all think we should do the two questions or just end with one question? I mean, I think Thinking since we started, it's time. only been like 45 minutes. Okay. I Let's don't, I don't have it. any like specific time frame, so it's up to y'all, but. Yeah. I feel, I feel like if we're gonna end on one question, um we'll see now i just changed my mind mid-sentence um so <laughs> that's that's difficult yeah mm. um i mean i'm fine with, yeah. i'm fine fine with whatever <laughs> uh, jaguars jaguar can wait football can wait okay <laughs> thank you i was watching, I was, watching a, I was watching a football game before you called but honestly Jaguars aren't doing that well anyway, so. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's such a surprise. While we're having a pause moment, um, I definitely overheard my mom yelling from, like, the living room, start protecting the quarterback, you idiots. And just, like, (laughs) football's back. (laughs) So here's here's the deal with the Jaguars, right? The Jaguars, the the offense is uh, well. Some people on the offense is fine, but the defense—it's like, come on, defense. Football, yeah. Football is holding too. We can talk about that. <laughs> unless y'all have something to do. What? Um, are you okay with continuing, Neil? Absolutely. You can uh, say no. No, I'm okay. good. I'm good. All right. Okay. <laughs> Let's just go for it. Let's if they need it. to cut out a question, they'll cut it out. Um, 
I don't know. I think if you're going to do a podcast, it should be an hour long. Or why did you make a podcast? That's my personal Some opinion. podcasts um, are so long. Yeah, I'm like, not here for the hardcore history. Ten hour. No. no. We'll break the record. We'll, this will be <laughs> the longest podcast. <laughs> uh, gosh. I don't know. I find I hope they find a way to keep in our comments about the Jaguars. Um, okay. We can we mute ourselves. I'm going to mute myself. Let me feel the power. Wow. I <laughs> All right. Um In light of this book, what does holiness mean to you? Have your ideas about holiness changed or stayed the same throughout your life? And I say this in the context of um, Paul Chilcote's writing that holiness is this process of loving more and more um, and letting that love transform your life. And that's his idea of holiness. And... I haven't even explored this question for myself, but I do think I have sometimes carried this idea that holiness is something different from love. And I'm curious if this idea, how this idea resonates with you. And yes, how do you, um, how do you make sense of the idea of holiness, Neil? Well, um, I guess the way that I make sense of it is the old, you know, try to live like Jesus and live like Christ and sort of follow in his footsteps of how he uh, lived his life. And I suppose that includes, you know, things like accepting people, loving them for who they are and not what they've done, as Jacob said, um, you know, being like caring and considerate, sitting and listening to them in times where they need someone to just listen. And, you know, overall, just trying to help in whatever way possible. Um, I think that's how I best like conceptualize holiness here. And while those are physical acts, um, there is obviously, you know, spiritual ones as well. And I guess that would tie into things like trying to get better at, you know, prayer, spending time praying and communing with God and whatnot. Um, just sort of making sure that you're taking care of yourself as well. Because, you know, you can take care of others, but if you're not taking care of yourself, then eventually, like, you're going to collapse in a way. So... I think in a way, uh, yeah, for me, holiness is just being there for others, but also just being there for yourself when you need it. And, you know, taking the old cheesy question, what would Jesus do to heart in a way? Um, so I think that's how I best make sense of it in my brain. Yeah, thank you for that, Neil. I think that that is... Yeah, that strikes me as a very comprehensive and true idea of what holiness is. And I appreciate you sharing that. Grace, what 
ideas do you have about holiness, both from this book and just from your own heart? Um, on page 63 of the book, actually, I think it, I mean, it's part of Charles Wesley's um, The One Thing Needful um, sermon, but I think that that just really resonates with, like, my own personal definition of, like, holiness and all that mixing together. Um, but it said, love is the very image of God. It is the brightness of God's glory. By love, you are not only made like God, but in some sense, one with God. Um, and, like, when I think about holiness, I just think, like, radiance and that kind of glowing. Um, like, people talk about Jesus is so holy. Like, his, like, robe was like so holy and white that it just was like reflective and radiant and like that's the image that a lot of people I don't know a lot but like that's an image that is commonly like tied with Jesus is just that like glow that like holy glow um and I think like loving people and being loved is what like makes me feel radiant or glowy um and so I just think like that ties in um to my own personal definition but just like when we do choose to love people and we do like what is God's definition of loving people um then it that can be really closely tied with holiness um and then also Brooke um while I think it was during a Bible and breathe, but we were just having a conversation. Um, and you were talking about like how you try to, and I don't want to like take your words wrong. So let me know if this is wrong, but you were just mentioning like you try to picture certain things as holy or like see how you can make certain things holy. Um, and that got me thinking because I used to not necessarily think of, just like ordinary like mundane things as something that could be holy um i grew up thinking like church stuff is holy because it's blessed um but that conversation with you actually just got my wheels spinning and thinking about like how can i make things holy or how can i recognize things as holy and good um outside of like the church building Yeah, I um, I think I might have been talking about how um, in Catholicism, so I used to be Catholic, um, and I think that Catholicism does this thing where Catholicism cultivates sacredness and holiness in a way that, like, in Catholicism, there's this belief that Jesus is literally present in the Eucharist. And that's also to say, um, within like one interpretation of that theology, that Jesus is only present here. Like Jesus is only present in certain places. So Jesus is only present within like a certain place in the church. And we decorate the church and we recognize it as sacred and make it special. Because that is where God lives. 
I think we lost you. Okay. Yes. Um, and to signify that, and um, and I think um, that for me, that idea was really important to me believing that now that everything is sacred. Because when I believe that everything is sacred now, it helps me understand that that specialness that was kept for me and cultivated within this specific space, that I can recognize everything is holy and everything is sacred, and that just makes the world all the more special. But I think for me, I'm able to step into that sacredness when I make it that within my own mind. Um, like, I'm in my car, and I think that my car can be a sacred space when I let it be that, and when I, like, make a place for that in my heart. Um, yeah, it's, it's a challenging concept, because as I'm talking about it, I'm thinking of how I don't quite live into that in the way that I would like to, but I find it... Um, I still find it a really beautiful idea. And Renard, what ideas do you have um, about what holiness means to you? Um, yeah. So two things come to mind when you can't when you um, ask me that question. Um, I was thinking about um, the three rule. I think it's is it the three rules of Methodism. Um, do all the good you can. Stay in love with God and. Um, um, do no harm. And then I was also thinking about like, um, like the Beatitudes. And this side, and this I, um, just this idea of, um, uh, what am I trying to think, think of? Just this, um, just this idea of, um, of, um, Um, with like some um, the beatitudes, um, just um, being there, just being there for those in being there for those in need, and um, um, loving on people, and being being with them in times of sadness and despair, and um, just living out, I, um, living a life the way um, Jesus wants us to live out our lives, if that makes sense. Because I keep saying the word beautiful, but that's beautiful, Renard. Um, I love the Beatitudes, and I just think that yeah, there's so much love and so much Jesus inside of those words. Um, yeah. um, so we have a third question, a, four, a fifth a fifth, a fifth question. Uh, I underline this passage from the end of chapter four. Holy people love God and others as fully as possible. They love because they have experienced God's unconditional love first. They seek to translate their faith into action. Faith works by love in their lives, leading to holiness of heart and life. Um, 
And I think that Bible and Breathe, the last question we ask is really similar to this. And I think that that similarity just is kind of pervading my questions today. But still I'll ask it. What loving action does the quote, this quote call you to? Um, and like Bible and Breathe, I'll say, if there's one that you feel comfortable sharing with us. And um, I would be curious, Grace, um, what thoughts you have about this. For me, I just feel like the part that stands out is um, the mention of like having experienced God's love first. Um, and so I think just taking our life experiences and taking our actions and like as crappy as they may be, just like trying to figure out how to take that and do good with it, whether that's like helping yourself or like assisting other people or just like being there for other people in some way. Like I think like it, it says faith works by love in people's lives. And I think that by like, you know, all the words are jumbling around, but I overall just think that it is beneficial to take our experiences where we might've experience God's love and like do something with it once you're able to um and like that doesn't have to be like going and being a public speaker for all sorts of things but just like if you see someone dealing with something that's kind of similar or like they might be going down a path that's similar to yours like do something and just like talk to them about it, be there for them. Maybe, I mean, I'm a four. I'm an Enneagram four there. I put it into this conversation too. But um, so I tend to like relate with people by sharing my own experiences. Um, and I oftentimes have like seen people going through similar things as me. And so I'll just like say, hey, like I see that this is like happening with you. Um, this is what happened with me. And so I am just thinking about you and hoping that you're doing well and hoping that like can help you, but just do something. <laughs> yeah, that's so beautiful, Grace. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and I'm just thinking that, I'm thinking of your starfish example. And sometimes I can feel like, those small choices to love don't matter. But I think, like, they do matter. That does matter. When we make that choice, that matters to the person that we choose to share that with. When we are kind to someone, that matters for them. Um, yeah, I think that's such a wonderful and significant thing and a brave thing to feel called to. Renard, what do you feel called to um, from the quote that I read? And I can read it again. Well, you don't have to read it again, but I think you said something in there about like heart and something in there that really stood out to me is, is 
heart and life. And I guess since we're going to, since Grace is talking about Enneagrams, I'm going to talk about Enneagrams too. And I guess that one, I'm an Enneagram, Enneagram too. So I guess that's why that part um, really like stood out to me. But that one like really like significantly like stood out to me was because um, um, I feel like um, at least at least like for me and like the when I came to terms with the church, I don't think um, I was living the life that I felt like God want me wanted me to live because. Um, my heart, um, my heart was hurting from like the pain that was, um, that I was suffering through that church. And I feel like through, and I feel like, like spiritually that makes, um, spiritually that makes sense, but physically that also, um, a physical standpoint as well. If, um, our heart, you know, our heart, um, without our heart, we don't live. And in terms of like the spiritual um, um, heart, the heart and the life in terms of the spiritual sense, if our heart isn't, if we're not, if our hearts like aren't, let's see, if our heart is um, not experiencing like the love that Jesus want, knows and wants us to live, um, are we, are we, are we, are we, are we, are we, are we really living is what I took away from that. Are we living the life that God so intends us to have the, the love that we don't even know, you know, the love that, that, that God knows is for our, for our lives that, 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 in words we can't put into. I love that so much, Renard. And that's honestly something that I've really been working through um, in this season of feeling like God loves me and cares about me and trying to believe that even when it's so, so hard to. Um, yeah, that's that can really be the life-changing thing. And to continually return to that place of feeling like Henry Nowen says, like, you are the beloved. Um, Neil, is there an action that you feel called to? Uh, well, I can't really say there's an action I feel called to, but let me just make sure I have my words right. Let's see. Yeah, on the note of loving people because I have experienced God's love first. Uh, it's a very, it's a topic that's very near and dear to my heart because I find that a lot of people don't know that like all the little, like how the little kind things they do can impact the people around them. Um, and I try, you know, I, I try as much as I can to let some of those people and some of my friends know that, you know, so a quick anecdote, I say, whenever I say quick anecdote, it's not quick, um, but I'm just throwing that out there. But in high school, uh, after my dad passed away, I, I think this was, see, my dad passed away in the spring, so this was like fall 
of that of that uh, same year. And I, I, that's where I think I really began my faith journey. I took this advanced Bible class um, from, you know, this guy who was actually an ordained preacher. And it was New Testament survey. And in it, I made a friend. She was in the grade above me. Her name was Gracie. And, you know, Gracie was just really nice to me. She sat with me. She, you know, we talked about Dragon Ball and cartoons. And she'd always smile whenever she, you know, would walk past me in the halls. And uh, that was like a rough time in my life, uh, obviously. But, you know, her, her smile, like, helped out a lot. So basically, at the end of the year, before she had properly graduated, because the seniors got to their their semester ended early um but yeah i typed up a little thing and i was like hello thank you very much for being such a nice person you know and she uh, you know a couple like probably like last year you know which is like a few years removed from her graduating and stuff you know she she told me and it's like yeah on days where i was really yeah. not feeling good, i don't know yeah. if this is just for me um but it might not be on the recording can you go back to when it was graduation and you sent her the card? Thank you for being such a night. I'm sorry. Uh, all good. Uh, I just said thank you for being such a nice person and just, you know, being, being cool, you know, just smiling at me. So I think little things like that are important um, for people to know that just like the little things can make the biggest difference for people that are going through a rough time. That is so kind, Neil. Um, yeah, and I'm thinking about, yeah, like how that trail of kindness can mean so much um, when we choose that. Like it's the little things and the pattern of doing little things that that can really bring a lot of light to people's lives. Um, I've been thinking a lot about gratitude lately um, and writing in a gratitude journal, but also like trying to tell people sometimes when they end up in my gratitude journal, like, hey, like you ended up in my gratitude journal and I just wanted to thank you because this was a really good part of my day. Um, <laughs> I sent Peter a message like that and he was like, is that a good thing? I was like, yeah, <laughs> yes, it definitely is. Um, but just letting people know. Um, yeah, and kind of like making that cycle of love more complete. Um, thank you so much for being here. Um, Neil, Grace, Renard, and we had Jacob. Jacob had to leave a little bit early. Um, but I'm so grateful for all of you. Um, grateful for this time to record and talk together. Um, yeah, I just really appreciate you all. And you were wonderful and good. Um, I highly recommend this book by Paul Chilcote. Um, Active Faith, Resisting Four Dangerous Ideologies with the Wesleyan Way. I... Um, I think it was really powerful and I feel called to think about the world differently and love in the world differently. And I think that's a really important thing. So if you are interested in reading such a book, I think it would be very worthwhile. Um, 
It's by Abdington Press. It's like $14. I suggest it. Um, yes, thank you all for being here. I hope that you are having a beautiful, wonderful day. Um, that God is with you and you are aware of God's presence and that the love of God flows through your life. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Studio Wesley Book Club. Studio Wesley Book Club is powered by Studio Wesley, which exists to curate authentic and informed content that connects with college-aged young adults on their journeys of spiritual and personal discovery. We seek to build a community rooted in faith that values an open, inclusive, and expansive table where all are welcomed, respected, and loved without reservation or exception.